if we are justified through faith alone in Christ alone and our works contribute nothing, why don't we just do whatever we want? I love my children. I say it almost every day, and I try to show them that love by law and gospel parenting, fathering. I want my kids to understand that I love them because of who they are and not because of what they do. I will love them if they get A's or F's. I will love them if they get a Nobel Prize or if, if they get a subpoena. I, I love my children, love my children, but I am sometimes displeased with my children. Let me ask you this. Do you think that my unconditional love for my children inspires them to lie, cheat, and steal? I don't think so. If I treat my kids to Red Robin, does my loving kindness uh, inspire them to shout obscenities and punch the waitress or start a food fight? Well, of course not. That's not how it works. They love enjoying great burgers with their dad at Red Robin, and they know that they feel better when they enjoy the love of their dad and they love and honor their dad. For the most part, my children understand the boundaries that I set for them are loving and good. Uh, they love me and they want to please me and they know that lying, cheating, and stealing greatly displease me. So my love for them and their love for me motivate them to do what pleases me. They know that I'll still love them if they lie, cheat, or steal or whip some hamburger across Red Robin, but they, they also know that I would be displeased and enforce loving discipline, neither of which they desire. They don't want that. So where am I going with this? Doesn't justification by God's free grace received by faith alone encourage people to do whatever they want? Philip Ryken put it like this. The doctrine of justification by faith alone raises an obvious problem. If by his free grace God has already declared us righteous, then why bother to become a better person? What incentive do we have to live for God? If God gives righteousness away for free, who will ever work for him again? I think he's capturing that tension with the doctrine of justification by faith. And I think the answer is simple. Romans 5.5. 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Having God's love and Holy Spirit in our heart motivates us to please God, not to displease Him. Jesus said the following in John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keep them, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Someone who is accepted and loved by God and who love God, loves God strives to please God. The book of James argues that a faith that does not lead to good works is a false faith that does not justify. That faith is simply lip service. So then, striving to obey all of God's commands in His Word is confirmation of justifying faith and love for God. Rightly understood, justification by faith alone leads to living to God. So here's a quick summary of the sermon. We live to God by faith precisely because we are justified by faith alone. I want to show you three things this morning. One, what is true about Jesus? Number two, 
what is true about you, and three, how we should respond to these truths. So I'm speaking to you, brothers and sisters, you saints, what's true about Jesus? Well, this has to be quick, so I'll motor through this. Number one, Jesus is the Christ. The name Christ implies that Jesus is God's chosen and anointed Messiah sent to do what the law cannot do, justify sinners. In verse 17, Paul used the phrase justified in Christ, which implies that justification cannot be through the law, but can only be in Christ. Number two, Jesus alone is righteous under the law. If justification is by faith alone in Christ alone, it assumes that Jesus Christ himself is entirely righteous under the law. As the Christ, Jesus must be perfectly righteous or else he cannot be the means of our justification because it's the imputation of perfect righteousness. If it's an imperfect righteousness, it does us no good. Justification depends on Christ's perfect law-keeping. Number three, Jesus is not a servant or promoter of sin. Now, more on this later, but for now... Realize that there, um, in no way uh, does, does Paul's doctrine of justification by faith alone suggest or make Christ a sinner or the servant of sin or the promoter of sin. Jesus is entirely without sin, and he motivates law-keeping, not law-breaking. Number four, Jesus is the crucified Christ. Paul said he was crucified with Christ, which means Christ was crucified. Jesus Christ died on a cross. Paul said, Christ gave himself for me. And in verse 21, he mentioned Christ's death. So justification through faith alone is inseparable from a crucified Christ. Five, Jesus is alive and living in his people. We are not made alive or justified if Jesus is dead. We cannot be saved if Jesus is dead. Regeneration, or the new spiritual birth, and justification by faith alone, being counted righteous in God's sight, depend on a resurrected Christ. A resurrected Christ living and working inside of his people. Paul said in verse 20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Our justification depends on us being crucified and raised with Christ. Through faith, the living Christ is in us, and we are in him, and he helps us live to God. Six, Jesus is the Son of God. Paul wrote in verse 20, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Jesus is the precious and perfect Son of God. He alone is our justification because He alone as the Son pleases the Father. The law is not God's Son. The law cannot do what God's Son does. God's Son is God's perfect righteousness. Therefore, God's Son is the sole object of our faith and the exclusive means of our justification. Seven, Jesus loves his people. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Thank you. Amen, Paul. Thanks. Wonderful. That's a biblical truth. 
That's taught in Scripture, and it's taught right here. Paul knew that the Son of God loved him. To be justified in Christ is to be united to Christ by faith, and therein that uh, union with Christ, loved by Christ and loved by God. The cross and justification by faith are evidence of Christ's love for us saints. Dear brothers and sisters, Jesus loves you. He loves me by giving himself for us and granting us his righteousness. He gives it to us so that we would be accepted by God and we would be loved by God. Jesus did that because he loves you. Eight, Jesus gave himself for his people. Paul said, who loved me and gave himself for me. Greater love has no one than this, that Christ laid down his life for his enemies to make them his friends. Saints, Christ took all your sin and guilt upon himself on the cross. He died in your place. He suffered hell for you in your place in order that in him you would be accepted and loved by God. Now, maybe you're here today because someone saved your life. I don't know. There, there could be great stories about that somehow. Where, and maybe that person even gave their life so that you could live. And they died, and you're still here today. But you see, only Christ can give himself for you in a way that makes you accepted and loved by God. Only the Son can do that. So we begin with what's true about Jesus. He is the Christ. He alone is righteous. He is not a servant of sin. He is crucified, risen, and living in his people. He is the Son of God who loves his people and gave himself for his people. And he is the sole object of our faith and the only means of our justification. Putting our trust in this glorious and beautiful and amazing Christ means we are united to this glorious and beautiful and amazing Christ. Our faith coheres us to Christ. Coheres us to Christ, joins us to Christ, makes us one with Christ. Inseparable union with the glorious Christ. Paul repeatedly use, uses the phrases in his writing, in Christ, which represents union with Christ. Theologian Louis Burkhoff defined union with Christ as this, that intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and his people in virtue of which he is the source of their life and strength, of their blessedness and salvation. When we trust in Christ, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and Christ is the source of our life, strength, blessedness, and salvation. He is everything to us. So now, brothers and sisters, what's true about you? What's true about you here this morning, who are united to Christ by faith? What's true of you? Number one, you are justified by faith in Christ. In verse 16, Paul said, So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And then he added in verse 17, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ... All peoples have one hope of justification, one hope of salvation... And it isn't the law. It's Christ. 
And the gospel is not too good to be true. You know, we've heard this a long time, probably. It's not too good to be true. It is true. Put your faith in Christ alone, and you will absolutely be accepted and loved by God. You don't have to clean up your life to come to Christ. Simply come to Christ, and He will clean up your life. When you believe into Jesus Christ, God considers you perfectly righteous. Perfectly righteous in His sight under the law. You once were enslaved to the law, carrying the burden of your guilt every day, but Christ has set you free and made you slaves now of righteousness. Slaves of Christ. Slaves of God. Martin Luther said, quote, A Christian is not someone who has no sin or feels no sin. He is someone to whom, because of his faith in Christ, God does not impute his sin. To be justified does not mean that you are instantaneously made sinless. Nor does it mean that God is somehow blind or indifferent to the sin that you commit. It means because of union with Christ, God no longer counts your sin against you. It's been paid for in the cross of Christ. Awesome news. That makes all the difference with joy in life. Number two, you are committed to putting sin to death. Now, I struggled this week to understand what on earth is Paul saying in these verses, particularly verses 17 through 19. I, I, I wasn't getting it. Uh, they're difficult verses. I think I get it. I think what Paul means in verse 17 is this. He was arguing that justification is by faith alone and not by works of, of law keeping. I, I think we got that. And some might assume in hearing that then that justification by faith alone diminishes the law, the law's importance and the law's relevance to our lives then. And Paul added, but if we too were found to be sinners. And back in verse 15, he referred to Gentile sinners. So what's going on that if the Gentiles are sinners, if we too as Jews are found to be sinners, what's that all about? The Gentiles did not have God's law, nor did they obey God's law, ceremonial or moral. Okay, the Gentiles were pagans. All of a sudden, the Gentiles were being justified under the law by simply believing in Christ. And the Jews were like, what? Really? Well, what does that say about the law? What does that say about Christ? So, so just believe and do whatever you want? If a person is, is justified by faith alone in Christ alone and not by works of the law, then does Christ advocate ignoring the law and living however you want? Is that what this gospel is for you, Paul? And Paul asked, is Christ then a servant of sin? And what's his answer? Certainly not. Absolutely not what I'm saying. We must be careful here. Paul was not poo-pooing the law. He was poo-pooing justification by works of the law. Big difference. Legalistic and gospel-confused Jews were looking at Peter and Paul and saying, wait, guys, wait, 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 wait. You used to obey the law. Now you live like Gentiles. If you toss out the law, if you toss out circumcision and dietary laws 
and, and you preach this justification by faith alone business, you're implying that Christ encourages law-breaking and sin. The Judaizers didn't understand the law or the gospel. In addition to continuing to observe the ceremonial law, which Christ made obsolete, and placing salvific significance on the law, the Judaizers, these, these false teachers in Galatia, uh, also failed to understand that justification by faith alone motivates believers to put sin to death and to live to God by obeying His law. True faith doesn't lead to further law-breaking. That makes no sense. As if Jesus promotes law-breaking? No. No, no, no. True faith puts into believers' hearts a hatred of sin along with a commitment to avoid sin. That's in there. Okay, Paul went on to tell the Galatians later, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I, it might help you to think about it like this. Have you ever had Fun Dip? You know what I'm talking about? Fun Dip candy, that powdery yumminess and you get that white stick of yumminess and you lick it and you put it in and it's delish. You ever have Fun Dip? Put up your hand if you have Fun Dip. All right, some of you need Fun Dip. You need more fun in your life. Get some Fun Dip. All right. So you got Fun Dip. You get the idea. When you buy Fun Dip, the powder comes with a lick -a stick I think that's what they call it. That's weird. You get both when you buy Fun Dip. Okay. A commitment to put sin to death comes along with justification by faith alone. You, you have one, you have the other. They're both enjoyable gifts for everyone who is united to Christ. And I think that's implied in verse 17. And verse 18 advances the argument. Number three, you refuse to trust in your own law keeping to justify you. Trusting in the righteousness of Christ is at the same time not trusting in your own righteousness. Look at verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now first, be careful how you think about God's law. This is very important to get this point. God's law is holy, righteous, and good. A hammer is good, but don't brush your teeth with it. Okay? That's the wrong use of a, of a perfectly good hammer. Use the hammer to drive in nails. God's law can't justify you. Wrong use of a good law. Use the law as your guide. Like, tell me, God, how I'm supposed to love and serve you. The law. It shows you how to love and serve God. Now, I think it's odd that in Mannheim, they put an auto zone within 500 feet of Advance Auto, which is right down the street from Napa. How many auto parts stores do we need in the town of Mannheim? I think it's a bit excessive. Maybe we have a god of auto parts or something. I don't know. But anyway, they tore down the old medical building to build an auto zone. How weird it would have been if after tearing down the old medical building, they rebuilt the old medical building exactly as it was. Weird. So secondly, Paul was a Pharisee who lived very proud of his law-keeping. 
But then Christ saved him. Christ gripped him out of that lifestyle and he began preaching justification by faith alone instead of justification by law keeping. He tore down the idea of works righteousness and in its place built up the idea of imputed righteousness. If then Paul rebuilt this idea of works righteousness, the law would once again condemn him as a lawbreaker. What? To rebuild justification by the law is to rebuild your sin and guilt and misery. Who wants to do that? That's not good news. Again, the Judaizers advocated this. Faith plus works equals justification. That's not gospel. That's not good news. One note said it like this. The lawbreaker is not the one who turns from the law to Christ for justification. It is the one who turns back again from Christ to the law for his justification. That's the lawbreaker. So in God's eyes, understand who he deems as guilty. He considers the guilty lawbreakers those who count on the law to justify them, count on their own goodness, count on their own good works. Hey, I think God will accept me if I'm good and I do good things. Those are the lawbreakers. It's those who trust in Christ alone for their justification who God accepts as perfectly righteous. Christ is everything. Saints, we don't trust in ourselves. We trust in Christ. Brothers and sisters, what's true about you? Verse 4, or uh, number 4, you died to the law to live to God. Paul said, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. You know, when you die, the demands of the IRS, they don't mean anything anymore. Okay? They just, they're not important anymore. You are free from oppressive taxation. All right? Dead people don't fear the IRS. They just don't. Paul, in Romans 7, 9 through 12, which I, I read this morning, helps us understand the difficult verse 19. Verse 19 is difficult, so listen to what he said again. Romans 7, 9 through 12. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Okay then. The law is holy, righteous, and good. And it exposed Paul's sin, which was death to him. Under the law, Paul was a dead man. Condemned, but Christ suffered the curse of the law for Paul. And in Christ, Paul was justified. Dead to the law, dead to its curse, dead to its harsh demands. The law no longer had dominion over Paul, and he was no longer condemned by it. Paul said in Romans 7, 6, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Calvin said so provocatively, quote, it was not necessary that Christ should destroy the righteousness of the law, for the law itself slays its disciples. End of quote. Are you a disciple of the law or a disciple of Christ? Think carefully. 
the difference is death or life. Paul died to the law. Christ was his life, and then he lived to God. It's very important you understand this. As believers, we are not dead to God's law in the sense that we can ignore it and do whatever we want. That's not what this means. Rather, we have died to the law as our means of righteousness. Now, Christ is our righteousness, and we are filled with His Spirit in order to enthusiastically obey God's law. So, so what does it mean to live to God Well, commentator William Hendrickson described it this way. Listen closely. I think this is very helpful. Negatively, it means no longer living for self. Positively, it indicates living as God wants me to live, hence to his glory, according to his revealed will, his law. End of quote. Now, don't miss that. Living to God is not pursuing your carnal desires, the desires of your flesh, but instead pursuing what God wants and God tells us what He wants in His law. Love God and others. Is that not the summary of His law? That's what He wants. Now, some professing Christians think, excuse me, that because believers are no longer under law, but they're under grace, that God's law is no longer applicable to our lives. We can just... We're in grace now. And that's very, very confusing. Much of the New Testament is law. Commands from God telling us what to do. (laughs) So without the law, we have absolutely no idea how to act as Christians. What do we do? I don't know. Let's look at each other. We know because God tells us in his law what we're supposed to do. And what was Jesus but someone who obeyed God's law? So if you want to follow Jesus, guess what you need to do? Follow his law by the power of the Spirit. Because you want to. Because it's your joy to. So the law changes for the Christian. It's no longer the voice of condemnation. It's now the roadmap of how I love and please my God. Jesus said, his words, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He added later, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. To his disciples in the upper room, he said, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Do you understand the connection there? To live to God is to express our love to God through our obedience to God. Saints, we died to the law so that we too might live to God. Doesn't the gospel then make you so, so thankful and grateful for Christ that all of a sudden all you want to do is please your Savior and Lord? You just want to please your Father. How could any Christian say that being accepted and loved by God motivates them to do that which displeases God? That that makes no sense. To think this way is to totally misunderstand both the law and the gospel and the role of the Holy Spirit and everything. It's just to be confused. Number five, you have been crucified with Christ. Saints, trusting in Christ unites you to Christ in his crucifixion. 
That means the old, sinful, guilty you is dead. When Christ suffered hell and died, you died with him. The lustful you is dead. The angry you is dead. The covetous you is dead. The jealous you is dead. The cheating you is dead. That you was nailed to the cross with Christ. Do you understand this? Paul explained more in Galatians 5.24. He said, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That you that desired those sins, that wanted to do those awful things that didn't please God, that you is dead. Dead. In Romans 6, 6 and 7, Paul explained it like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Do you understand? The one who has died to the law is set free from sin in Christ. That is huge. That is central to our faith. The old sinful you is dead and Christ is working from within you to eradicate all sin, the last remnants of sin from your life. And as he does that so graciously, so tenderly, so lovingly, you are free to live to God. Free to live for the one that you love. But the death of the old you is not all that's true of you. Number six. You have died, but Christ now lives in you. Paul said in verse 20, it is no longer I who live. Well, that sounds weird. What do you mean by that? Did his personality die? He was no longer Paul? Did he somehow become Christ now? Well, that's weird too. That's not what it is. Paul remained Paul. But the old works righteousness and law enslaved Paul, that Paul was dead. Christ made him a new and free creature, and the spirit of the crucified and risen Christ was living in Paul and compelling him to live to God. Christ in Paul meant that he was counted righteous and that he was chasing righteousness. One source said, Jesus is present with the believer. By the Spirit, the Lord lives in inward fellowship with his own. The union is a spiritual relationship of the utmost intimacy. Isn't that what you love the most? An intimate relationship with the God who made you? This is good news. Saints, that intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ is unparalleled, is amazing, is what we want is everything to us. There's nothing in our lives that are more important than that. Can you imagine then saying, Christ is living in me, therefore, because of his marvelous grace, I'm going to keep sinning. Just to show him my love, I'm going to pursue that sin because I'm in grace. That, as Paul Washer says, blasphemy. That's not true. That's a horrible offense of the gospel. You don't even understand. If that's the mentality to pursue sin because of grace, Christ is at work in believers so that they think and they feel and they act to the glory of God and to their greatest joy in God. 
Christ shepherds them tenderly. He leads them. He empowers them to, from within them to live to God for his glory and for their greatest joy. A Christian all of a sudden says, you know, God's law is the way to my greater joy. I just want to do that to please him, not to earn something from him, but because I'm already accepted in love. So I do this because I just want to express my gratitude. I just want to pursue my joy in him. So this leads to number seven. You are alive in Christ and living by faith in union with Christ. And the life I now live in the flesh. Paul was alive on the earth. You have to understand what he's saying about this death business. Yet he was also a totally new man, transformed in the gospel. And Christ was alive and living in him. His earthly life became one of ongoing confidence and confidence in and connection with the living Christ. Faith is the vehicle through which Christ supplies to us his righteousness, but it's also the vehicle through which he pours his strength into us to live to God. Hendrickson said, humble trust in Christ is the channel through which Paul receives the strength he needs to meet every challenge. By means of this unshakable confidence in his Redeemer, he surrenders all to him and expects all from him. Expects all from him. Faith expects Christ to provide the strength needed to live to God. To live as a Christian is to live every moment by faith in the Son of God. It is through faith that Christ sustains his people. So what's true of you, believer? Number eight, you are loved by Christ. The Son of God loved Paul, and saints, the Son of God loves you. He gave himself for you. To the believers in Rome, Paul wrote this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, you are secure in the love of God. Why? One reason. You are in Christ Jesus, the Lord. God loves those who are united to his Son. Now, this is controversial for some, but it is biblical. Christ does not love everyone the same. And Christ does not give himself for everyone. Christ loves his bride uniquely, exclusively, completely, and gave his life for her alone, as Ephesians 5, verse 25 says and teaches. Who's the us in Romans 8? Believers. Nothing can separate believers from the love of Christ. Believers alone are conquerors. In Romans 8, 39, nothing can separate believers from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That phrase is very important, in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's covenant and eternal love is only for those in his Son, united to Christ. Unbelievers cannot say with Paul, who loved me and gave himself for me. They don't want to say it and they can't say it. The excellent and sacrificial atoning love of Christ is shared with those who are one with him. One with him. Faith is essential. Absolutely essential. And this is why the gospel urgently calls everyone to repentance and faith. 
Oh, dear unbeliever, come to Christ to be loved by God. That's Repentance and faith means something. You have to do it to be loved by God in the most intimate, loving, deep way. To be estranged from Christ, to be cut off from Christ, to be outside of Christ is to no longer, according to Scripture, according to Hebrews 10, 26, and 27, to no longer have a sacrifice for sins. You don't have a Christ if you don't believe in Christ. That's what makes him so precious. There is no grace. Hear this loud and clear for the unbelievers who are in here. There is no grace, no justification, no acceptance, and no love for you outside of Christ. You need to get inside of Christ and you need to believe today. But everyone whom God unites to his glorious son, dear Christians, now I'm talking to you. He has united you to his son by grace through faith and you all have the fullness of his love. Won't change because you're in Christ and he puts you there. Being in Christ means everything, everything. There's nothing more important in life than being united to Christ by faith. The acceptance and love of God is full and it is lovely and it is enjoyable and it is life-giving inside the son. Are you in Christ? If so, beloved church, Christ loves you more than you could ever imagine. And it is secure. The cross and its saving effect on you proves how much God loves you. Do you know what he did to rescue you from your sin and guilt and misery? A lot. Nine, you strongly believe that Christ's death was meaningful and effectual. Paul preached the gospel. He wasn't invalidating God's grace. Paul, uh, uh, please don't miss that the profoundness of what he's saying in verse 21, for if righteousness, or you could say if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let that hit you. There is a belief that you will perhaps hold, that people hold, not necessarily you, but people hold, that says Christ's death meaningless, doesn't mean a thing. And they've got a lot of gospel types of biblical language mixed in with it. Listen very carefully. To add good works to faith for justification. Faith plus works equals justification. That whole thing is to essentially say Christ's death means absolutely nothing. To trust in your own righteousness, even a little bit, even that I contributed just a little bit to my justification, is to say Christ's death is meaningless to me and I don't need it. I'm good enough without him. With the exception of true Christianity, the heart of every world religion is work your way to God. That's just what it is. You study the world religions. Work your way there, folks. You've got to earn it. A motto that absolutely disdains the cross of Jesus Christ. A similar motto that you might have heard in some churches, deeds, not creeds. That shows up in so many churches. And, and when the call in these churches becomes do something great for God. When that call overshadows the truth of what God has done for us in Christ, we are dangerously close to abandoning the cross altogether. When we think our good works make us acceptable or lovable to God, or we become so obsessed with our good works and what we do for God, let's just work, work, work for God, and we lose sight of Christ, we are essentially saying the death of Jesus Christ is meaningless. 
It's worthless. Again, Dr. Riken said, quote, if we can be saved by our own works, then Jesus was a false Messiah who died a worthless death on a meaningless cross. Be very careful that you say in your Christian testimony, I think I'm a good person. I think I've let my good works outweigh my bad works. Be very careful because that statement suggests you care nothing for the cross of Christ. Dear saints, for you and for me who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death of Christ is infinitely valuable and precious and meaningful and effectual. It does something and it does something great. The cross is our life. The cross is our justification. The cross is our hope. It is our comfort. It is our joy. We know that without the perfectly righteous Christ crucified for us, we have no hope of being justified. We are damned without Christ. He's hope, so we trust him. Brothers and sisters, we believe that the precious life of our Savior Jesus Christ given for us is meaningful and effectual. And here's what that means. It actually achieved our justification. It, it's not a potential justification that you must somehow complete by being good. Yeah, he did it, I know, but then I gotta be... We don't work for justification. It's given to us as a gift through faith alone in Christ alone. Christians know that the death of their Savior was meaningful and effectual. Brothers and sisters, how then should we live? Live to God by faith in Christ. Live to God by faith in Christ. God has declared you righteous in Christ, so live to God by faith in Christ. Believers are not interested in rebuilding their enslavement to the law. How exhausting that is. Believers simply trust that they are accepted and loved by God and that Christ is living in them, compelling them to live to God by faith. So do you understand that we're justified by faith alone? And why don't we just do whatever we want? Well, that's easy because we're dead to the law and Christ is living in us. It's pretty simple to understand. How then could we pursue a life of sin which displeases the one that we love the most? Why, why would we want to trust in our own righteousness when it scoffs at the sacrifice of the one that we love the most? Saints, the safest, most secure, most assuring, most joyful, most just comforting place to be is under grace in Christ. So stay there. Stay there. And live to God by faith in Christ because you love God and because he loves you. We live to God by faith precisely because we are justified by faith alone. Let's pray. God, we need to hear this message because we are so prone to try to earn your love and acceptance by being good. Well, the problem is, God, we can't be good. We can't behave ourselves. We all deserve coal for Christmas. So God, Jesus deserves all the gifts. He's the good one. He's the good son. And we look up to him, and we love him so much as believers. He is our only hope of righteousness, only hope of being accepted by you, only hope of being loved by you. As a father loves his children. So God, thank you so much for uniting us to Christ and giving us all the things that Christ deserves.
It's amazing what we get because we are united to Christ by faith. We are not treated as our sins deserve. We are treated infinitely well. So we just say thank you, and I pray that the gratitude that we have in our hearts, the gratitude for the gospel, the gratitude for your son Jesus, would so overwhelm us that we would live to God by faith in Christ, that every day would be this joyful journey of saying, God, how can I serve you and love you? God, show me wonderful things in your law that I can know how to express this this awesome feeling inside of me that I love you and I'm so thankful. How do I express that? Well, we do the law, so help us to do that. We need your spirit to fill us, to lead us in these things. We need your spirit to change our desires so that we desire good things. And you are doing that because you are faithful and you love us. Thank you for your extravagant love. Thank you for the security we have in Christ. Thank you that it's not us that justified ourselves and therefore we're not going to lose it because you're at work in us. You will keep us by your grace. We love you, God. Help us to serve you, not to earn anything from you, but simply to express our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.